So, I do have a word for you. And what's nice about when you're down, you do get a lot more time to spend in the Word. And uh, though I, I needed the, the large print Bible to be able to read it. And um, so I have a message for you tonight. It's called The Light Before Us. And we're going to go to Numbers chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It's a simple, short passage. Let's stand for the reading of the Word. So the Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you set up the lamp, see that all seven lights up the, uh, light up the area in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so, and he set up the lamp so that they faced forward on the lampstand just as the Lord commanded Moses. This is how the lampstand was made. It was made of hammered gold from its base to its blossoms. The lampstand was made exactly like the pattern the Lord had shown Moses. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd open up our heart and mind to your word, Lord God. There's a, a wonderful, Lord, message here for us, Lord, about our lives. And Lord God, I pray, Father, that as we sit at your feet, we tune ourselves into your voice. And Lord, you be our teacher tonight through the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So what you have here, and we've, we've you know, covered this as we were going through the book of Exodus, we've touched on it in the book of Leviticus, this is the lampstand, okay? The, the, essentially, it is one of the six key pieces of the tabernacle. It illuminated the holy place. And so we look at something like this, we wonder, again, what, what does it have to do with us right here, sitting here at this time in this period? So I want to I share some key things. One is, there is a very simple, practical, okay, message in verses 1 through 4 of Numbers chapter 8. It's simple and a very simple application, okay? Let me, again, bring you to the passage. The Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you set up the lamb, see that all seven light up the area in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so, he set up the lamps so that they faced forward on the lampstand just as the Lord commanded Moses. Right? Just a very simple thing, right? It was what? The lamp was to what? Illuminate, right, the holy place, right? In the holy place you had the, uh, the, the table, okay, uh, of incense, the altar of incense, the table of showbread, and you have the candelabra. The purpose of the candelabra was to, again, illuminate this entire area. Remember, we were looking at Zechariah uh, a few, uh, a month ago, when we were studying about um, Jesus and his birth, and this is where Zechariah was, the father of, um, of John the Baptist. He was offering up incense, right, his one week, okay, that he would get the opportunity to do that, okay, in the year, he was offering up incense when Gabriel the angel appeared to him and revealed to him that he would have a son and he would be John the Baptist. Remember, he didn't believe and, and then he closed his mouth for, for a while. But the purpose, the purpose of the candelabra, again, was to illuminate the entire okay, holy place. So here's a picture again of the, uh, the inside of the tabernacle. This is the Holy of Holies, the curtain. The priest went in there once a year, right, only once a year. And uh, there's the altar of incense, there's the candelabra, and there's the table of showbread. The purpose was that these little lamps would be turned in such a way, right, so that the light illuminated the entire sanctuary. That they weren't facing the wall, right? If you have a lamp, 
right? You don't want it to be facing the wall, right? You wouldn't have a lamp. I have a lamp next to where I read my Bible every morning. And um, what I do is I lift it up. My wife is always putting it down because it's not, you know, it's not correct. And, you know, but I'm always lifting it up. So in the morning, I have light illuminating my Bible so I can read my Bible, right? So that's, that's, a, simple, that's a simple meaning, okay, of the passage. It's, it's just a simple word. So I want to show you, there's, in the rabbis, they talk about different levels of meaning of scripture. I've shared this with you, you know, before. So you have the prashat is the literal meaning of scripture. What I just gave you is the literal meaning. It's very simple. You, you always, when you read the scriptures, you always look for the literal meaning. And people sometimes are saying, well, this is what I think the passage means. It's not. It's just a simple meaning there. And then there could be what is called the remez, an allegorical meaning. And I'm going to share with you something that is allegorical tonight. Then what you have is the darash, the hermeneutical or the homiletical okay, meaning. And what I just gave you, there were some hermeneutics and uh, there's homiletics in that. This is, I know those are words. What I do in researching a passage, studying it in its historical context, studying it in its biblical context, looking at the very words, okay, the, the Greek or Hebrew words that are used, and then being able to bring that to the church. So there, there is the hermeneutic and the, the homiletical um, exegesis of the passage, and then there is the sod. There can be a mystical um, meaning. And I'm going to actually share with you tonight because I think I'm going to cover all four of these in this message. This comes from uh, Moses de Leon, who was a, a Spanish uh, rabbi, but this is something that the rabbi said. And I think there's, again, there's, there's, there's great truth to that. So just there's simple, a simple meaning. Now we go a little bit deeper. Okay, and we'll, we'll take a look here. Again, we'll get into the allegorical and the uh, hermeneutical and the mystical. So there's a typology here of Yeshua. And again, if you've been studying with me when we were going through the different, again, articles of the tabernacle, the entire tabernacle is essentially a typology of Jesus. So the, the candelabra is a typology of Jesus. How many actual right, candles oh, do you have? Seven, right? What is the number seven in scripture? It's the number of perfection, right? The hepta. It's the number, it's the number of perfection. It is, uh, you know, again, the perfect light. So when you, when you look at the articles of the tabernacle, it's even interesting, right, that they were placed in a cross. But each one of the articles of the tabernacle, again, the uh, brazen altar is a typology of the cross. The Laver of washing is a typology of the sanctification and regeneration of, of the Lord. The altar of incense, Jesus, again, our high priest, offering up, right? Offering up our intercession for us, right? He is our intercessor, day and night. Table of showbread, he's the bread of life. The candelabra, he is the light of the world, right? We get into the, the actual Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, right? Jesus is our mercy seat. So I'll give you, I'll give you something again, I'm going to pulling from some other sermons, two basic discoveries about the Bible. The Bible consists, right, 66 separate books penned by uh, over 40 authors over a period of several thousand years that are an integrated message system, okay? 
the idea of an integrated message system, and, and I put here, it, it can be demonstrated, in fact, this is Chuck Messler, that it can be demonstrated that the origin of these message is from outside of our dimension of space and time. You know, how, how do you determine that? Well, you have um, authors who never knew each other, most, over the course of 2,000 years, um, who spoke different languages, in different nations, on different continents, or three different continents that you have that, that the scriptures were written from. And, um, in, in, you know, in light of that, uh, there is a common purpose and theme that runs through every one of the books, right from right, Genesis to Revelation. One common theme, the redemption of mankind, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, salvation. So from Genesis to Revelation, it really is amazing because it reads as though there is one author. And I don't think you will ever find right, a, a group of writings that have been compiled like that. It is unlike anything. As people, remember one time I was at Ramapo College and I was basically making a point from the Bible and one of the students said that you're using circular reasoning. Circular reasoning meaning that you're reasoning just from one book. He said, you're reasoning from a book. I said, I'm not reasoning from one book, but 66 books written by 40 different authors over the course of 2,000 years. <laughs> because it's not one book. It's a compilation of books. And again, it is an integrated message system. Why am I making this point? Because as I talk to you about the candelabra and the light of the world, I'm going to show you that it is again integrated. What does it mean that it's integrated? Well, if we were to look at the candelabra, but you will see that, well, there isn't a book on the candelabra of the 66 books. Just that is, if you wanted to study the resurrection, we don't have a book of the resurrection, okay, or a book of redemption, or a, a book on the Holy Spirit, right? What it is, the messages on those specific topics are interspersed, right, integrated, throughout the 66 books. So when you're looking at the candelabra, what you'll find, you will find extensive, okay, revelation on the candelabra in Exodus. Find a little bit in Leviticus, you'll find it in Numbers, and you'll find it in Deuteronomy. You're also going to find it in Zechariah. When we come all the way over here to, to Zechariah, you will find it in Zechariah. You come to the New Testament, where do we find it? You'll find it in John. And you'll find it again in 1 John. What's one other book that we'll find it in? The seven, right? The seven candelabra, right? The hepta of the candelabra. Where else will you find it? Revelation, yeah. So that's the idea, again, why did God do that? Why didn't he just give us a book on the candelabra? Why doesn't he give us just a book on, on Revelation, right? Or, or a, book on, a book on resurrection, right? Why does he do that? Why did he speak in parables? He spoke in parables so that people would dig. Right? He wanted people, he wanted people to dig. He wanted people to dig into the word. So he integrated, right, his message throughout this book that we call the Bible, these 66 books, with a purpose. You have to dig to be able to understand these things. Not for the lazy. Not for the lazy. We go to churches of lazy people. And then outside of the reporters, putting the mics in people's faces and asking them questions, right? 
about um, how were the Jews able to carry that giant ark all over the desert? And there, well, it wasn't Noah's ark that they carried all over the desert. It was the ark of the covenant. And they asked these stupid questions to make them look Christians look stupid. And you see that they put this on television, and Christians look very stupid because they don't dig. And it is not the responsibility of the pastor to only dig. It is the responsibility of every Christian to dig into the Word of God. This is God's God's personal revelation that he has given to you, right? Unlike unlike anything that you will find, and he has given it to us with the expectation that we are going to sit at his feet, open our hearts humbly and in faith, and study his word. Doesn't mean we're all going to be scholars, doesn't mean we're all going to be pastors and teachers, but every one of us has that responsibility. And it's a beautiful thing when you look at our church and you see people who, right, they're not teachers, but they're doing that. And I have a conversation with them, and I'm amazed that at, you know, again, their knowledge and what God is is teaching them. And that's a that's a wonderful thing. So here, again in this system, here is this candelabra. John 8, 12, what did Jesus say? Right? Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Does anybody know the setting that you have in John 7 and 8 when Jesus said that? Oh, no, no. It, it, just, it, it, was, it, was, it was the holiday season of during the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Okay, and what there was is there was a great ceremony called the illumination of the temple that it, it involved the ritual lighting of four, you can see here, this is a great rendition that they did, four golden lampstands that were 65 feet high and would literally illuminate, right, the, the entire temple. I, I was at the Wailing Wall in December, I think it was 1995, when they were lighting the menorah and um, in the pouring rain, and the menorah was probably 20 feet high. These were 65 feet high, these, these huge, massive candles, and it would essentially, again, it would illuminate the entire, it was, this was called the Court of Women, where they were. I believe that if you take John 7 and John 8, This was the setting when Jesus was standing, right? They're lighting these lights, and he said to his followers, I am the light of the world. So there's there's always a backdrop. There's there's always a setting in in, in Scripture. He is the light of the world. And that, by the way, that, that celebration was to commemorate the pillar of fire, we'll actually look at this next week, the pillar of fire that guided them right through the wilderness. But Jesus, right, he is the light of the world. Now I want to show you, I want to show you one other thing in Scripture. There is another passage in the book of Zechariah where it, it talks about the candelabra again, and it talks about two olive trees that are essentially, they're, they're essentially feeding the candelabra with, uh, with oil. So you have this, this menorah, and uh, this occurs again in the book of Zechariah. I'll show you here the, what it basically says, and you have the picture here. There are two olive branches, uh, receptacles, okay, and then there's two receptacles that feed a bowl, 
And then the bowl actually feeds the seven pipes and the seven uh, lamps, again, are lit. This is Zechariah chapter 3, verse 10. You want to take a picture of that? This is Zechariah 3.10. And in, in Zechariah 3.10, it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And this is the, be- the building of the temple after the temple was destroyed. Oh, I'm sorry, is it, um, it's 4.10? I'm sorry about that. And... Uh, you people with your computers, your computer's a little faster than... Oh, you're, you're good for you, Lenny. You're using a real Bible. I don't see too many people using real Bibles anymore. To, so he says, For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zorobabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. So I, I want you to see this. Uh, God's eyes, right? The, the, the seven refers to God's eyes signifying his, his omniscience. He knows all things. He's, he sees all things. Right now, in your life, he sees your problems. He sees your trials. He sees your joys. He sees your enemies. He sees your needs, your, your uh, obstacles, your efforts. Uh, he sees your love. But notice, notice here... Do not despise these small beginnings. They were building a temple. Some people were despising the building of Ezra's temple because it wasn't as great as Solomon's temple. And, and he's saying, don't despise these small beginnings of the building of the temple. So there's a key thing here that the Lord sees your work. You may think it's small. You may think what you're doing for God is in, in, insignificant. But God sees it, and, and to him, notice... He rejoices in your work. When your work is being done from your heart, right? your work is being done for his glory, God sees that and he rejoices in your work. Hey, those of you with children, remember when your child took their first steps, right? Remember when Grace took her first steps, right? And when, when they took that, right, you rejoice. But remember, they weren't perfect steps, though. Did Grace, did, I, I don't know the way she moves and runs, but did she fall a few times? Or Emily, right? Yeah, right? But you're still rejoicing. But it's not perfect. Right? They're, they're, they're walking, but they're, they're, they're falling. They're stumbling. But you're rejoicing. And the Lord rejoices, hey, in, in our work. Again, they may be small. We may, we may be thinking they're insignificant. But to God, they're significant. And he rejoices. He rejoices in that work. So don't despise those, those small things that you're doing. And again, a little revelation. Again, on the candelabra through right, Zechariah. So let's, let's look at the next. And it says, and uh, the third thing is, it, do not, it did not illuminate what's behind, right? What was the purpose? It was to illuminate, notice, the things that were in front, right? It, 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 was, it was facing forward. And the Lord's light illuminates the path that we are moving forward with. Not, not the things that are behind. He doesn't shine his light on what's behind, there's a verse, I know Faith, Faith, you may, you may know this verse. I don't know if everybody else here knows it. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What, what is that? Yes, 1 Corinthians 5.17. He, he doesn't light up our past sins. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, again, it's been a groggy week. Who knows what I'm going to teach you. I'm going to be preaching from the Jehovah Witness Bible next. I didn't know. I thought it was, I thought it was the Christian Bible. <laughs> so 2 Corinthians 5.17. But our, our past sins... Are, are gone. They're forgiven. They're forgotten. His light, again, didn't shine against the wall. It's just kind of interesting, right? Again, you had a simple application, but I think there's, again, there, there seems to be a mystical meaning in it. When Jesus forgave people, they were forgiven. So um, the woman, the sinful woman who came to Jesus and anointed her feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair Jesus, he said to her, your sins are forgiven, right? You know, you have been forgiven much, you love much. She was forgiven. The woman caught in adultery, he said, has anyone condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. She realized he was not condemning her. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and and, and leave your life of sin, sin no more. So just the, the, the many verses in the Bible that convey this. Micah 7.19, he will turn again, he will have compassion upon us, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And I quoted from Corey Ten Boone a couple weeks ago where she said, and he puts up a sign, no fishing allowed. It's, it's, it's done with and it's, and it's gone. And uh, Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So the, the picture here again is when, when we come to Christ, he has given us a clean slate. I say this all the time to people. Come to Jesus, he will give you a clean slate, he gives you a fresh start, and he gives you a new beginning. And the beauty about walking with Jesus is every day can be a fresh start. Every day can be a new beginning. Every day can be a clean slate. Right? The past is gone. Then notice he illuminates our future. So again, the, the, the light is always pointing to the front. The, the lamp faces forward. So, um, and again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? The old things have passed away, but behold, all things have become new. And he's, he's given us new life. You know, it's a, it's a sad thing. I'll tell you this, a sad thing that I've experienced as a pastor in the church that people will come to Jesus and receive that, that newness of life, but then it seems to grow old, right? Their, their faith seems to, to grow old. Their heart it seems to become hard, just... Remember what it was like when you gave your life to the Lord. Yeah, do you remember just, uh, and I, I say, I, I, I celebrated my spiritual birthday on January 15th <laughs> when I wasn't here on Sunday. But that was my, my so I looked, at Sue, uh, looked at Rachel and I said, you know, today's my spiritual birthday. I gave my life to the Lord in uh, 1983 and uh, it's 40 years. But I can tell you this, when I gave my life to the Lord, 
It was winter, just like it is now, and probably a lot colder than it is now. We've had a wonderful winter. But the grass was greener, the flowers were, were coming up, I could hear the birds singing, and the sky was blue, and it felt a lot warmer than it actually was because everything felt alive when I gave my life to, to Jesus. But, hey, do you still have that life? Do you still have that, that, that childlike joy and faith that you had when you, when you came to him? Because, again, he has made all things new. You know, the joy of knowing Jesus, the joy of, of knowing you have received the gift of eternal life and you are forgiven, uh, the joy of, of being accepted by God, the, the wonder of his word, the wonder of worship, the wonder of church. We, we, well, it, took, it took so a little while to come around, but she came around a few months later and gave her life to the Lord. And just the joy we had in being in church on a Wednesday night, we loved it. We didn't want to stay home anymore. We stay home and do what? Watch television? We, we loved being in, in the fellowship. We loved, and we'd go to church on Sunday morning and they had church on Sunday night and we would just love, I mean, we'd sit there, we, we would have competitions, right? They didn't have PowerPoint. So the preacher would be preaching and he would say, okay, now go, you know, go to Psalm, Psalm 1 verse 2 and now go Zechariah chapter 3 verse 3 and Matthew chapter 4 verse, and we'd have races, right? Because we, we didn't have these things now that you guys have or that handheld thing. And we would sit there and have races to see who could find it first. But we were like little kids with that, that joy of the Lord. And but he continues to make all things new. So it's a, it's, it's a bad thing when our hearts start to get hard and our faith starts to get dull and our love starts to dissolve. Because... There, there should be this, this joy in the journey. Look at, look at what the Word of God says about, again, this newness. 1 Peter 1.3 Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy He has given us new birth. Notice this. It's new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth. Think about this. New birth is what? When, when, a, when a, a baby is born, what is it? Life. A new life entering into the world. And new birth is that, that, that is, that is spiritual life. Tells us in, in Ezekiel, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. And that's, that's not talking about the Holy Spirit. That's when he gives us a new spirit, right? We are a spirit, we are a soul, and we are a body. And he gives us a new spirit. Our spirit becomes alive, it was dead. Dormant, right? My spirit was dead to God. Didn't want to be bothered with God. Didn't want to hear from God, right? And it suddenly I had this, this spiritual life and suddenly I'm interested in God. I'm interested in prayer. I'm interested in his word. I'm interested in, his, in witnessing. I'm interested in worship. I wasn't interested in those things just this the week before. And suddenly I'm, I, I'm interested. My, my family thought I was crazy. My wife thought I was crazy. That's a huge change. He says, I will give you a new heart. Right? New desires, new passions, new values. And put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
There's another, another, I mean, there's so many passages on newness. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. What do plans have to do with? Does he, do, uh, do you plan for what happened yesterday? If you do, you, you know, you, you really should see someone, right? I'm planning 2022. That, that really isn't, right? What are you planning? You're planning what's tomorrow. You're planning what's next week. You're planning what's ahead. So again, this, this is about, this is about newness, and for I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Plans are always looking forward. They're always looking tomorrow. They're always looking to the future. So those are, those are beautiful passages. Malachi 4.2, this is an interesting passage. It says, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. By the way, notice the word sun. It's, it's not S-O-N, it's S-U-N. The word that's used in the Hebrew is actually talking about the sun in the sky. But it, it's, it's the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. And I think that there's, a, there's again, a met, it's metaphorical. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor here, an allegory. What it's talking about, just like the sun rises, when the sun rises, what do we have? We have a new day. Sun sets, it's the end of a day. So the picture here is the sun, and that's how Jesus comes. He rises on our life every day. The sun rises in our lives, and it's a new beginning. It's, it's, it's a new day. It's, it's a new opportunity. It's newness of life. And then the final thing I'll share with you, that light is a metaphor for truth. So just, I mean, simply when Jesus says that I am the light of the world, he's saying that he is the very fountainhead of all truth of the world. When he says, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, again, there he is saying he is the truth, he is the light. So light is a, is a metaphor for truth, and essentially in, to really live in the truth, okay, and John chapter 8, 31 through 32, you should memorize this passage then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. How do we know the truth? By being in the word. Right? The, the more you are in the word, the more manifestation of the truth you will have and the freer you will become. Well, we, live, we live in a world, right? We, we are, let me tell you, we are surrounded by deception. Again, this, the, the ruler of this world, Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world three times in the Gospel of John. Satan is a liar, right? Father of lies, right? He is, he is a liar and he is a deceiver and, and that is what he does. He deceives and he and he lies. He he is the great he is the great masquerader, right, of light. He masquerades as an angel of light. He he is there to deceive. The only way we can stand against against such deception, right, is by being in the word. And it's through the word that you go. The, the word needs to be the filter. Like you need to filter everything like that comes at you through the word of God and, and test it. Because again, 
deception will, I mean, it, it will come at you in your job. It will come at you through your family members. It will come at you through the media. It will come at you in the political realm. And it comes at you in the church. There's, there's deception in the church. That's why I say to you, you need to be in the word of God. I see some of you taking notes. I see some of you writing. And well, some of you are sitting there and saying, well, this is Pastor Frank. I guess everything he said here is true. Maybe not. Maybe I not knowingly have shared things with you that are false tonight. I'm not above deception. So you need to test everything as the Bereans, right? They tested everything to see if what Paul, the Apostle Paul, was saying was true. And if they tested Paul, you certainly should be testing me or anyone else who is filling this pulpit or anybody you're listening to on radio. I don't, I don't listen to a lot on on, on radio, Lenny and I had this conversation the other day. How many of you read the word every day? Raise your hands. Lenny, look around. How many of you read the word every day? Right? Almost everybody in this room. Okay? Because Lenny had asked the question a couple weeks, how many of you listen to Christian radio? And he was disappointed. And I said to him, I don't listen to Christian radio. And I'm not telling you not to listen to Christian radio. I love um, John MacArthur. I read his sermons... Um, G. Vernon uh, McGee sermon, Charles Spurgeon's sermons, um, sometimes Charles. Occasionally I watch, I, I've watched Great Glory on occasion. Uh, you know, sometimes I, there's some other preachers that I'll, I'll watch, but I read the word. And I, I said to him, I, I, I just, I'm curious to do it on Sunday and see how many people raise their hand. But, you know, you guys are, you're a little different than a lot of people that come on Sunday. And, what? No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, listening to teach, teaching. Yeah. <laughs> you know what Carmen Mercadante says about Christian musicians? He says that they, most of them, not all of them, but most of them couldn't make it in, uh, in secular music. So they created Christian, this is what the record companies have done. They've created this, this Christian gospel music basically to feed the Christians with a, a lower grade of music. He says that that is, so you have a lot of music, they're not actually Christians doing Christian. By the way, you see that frequently when all of a sudden they decide that they're going to expose their lifestyle. But um, that is something. No, I, I, I'm going to play a song for you from a guy that you should listen to in just a moment. And, uh, but again, God's word needs to be the filter. God's word needs to be the glasses that we look through to the world. Notice this is a great picture because if you look, there, everything is a blur, but when you look in the glasses, everything is clear. But we are not above deception. Human, humans are notorious for deceiving themselves. And, and again, it's, it, it's in the church. We believe what we want to believe. We usually believe what's very comfortable to believe. And um, when it comes to the truth, the truth can be sometimes very painful to swallow. And I, I know this, I'm being honest with you with myself, right? We can very easily deny things about ourselves and about our lives. And again, the beauty of being in the Word, I get convicted. I think every time, every morning I read the Word in my devotions, I get convicted about things. I get convicted this morning reading Proverbs. But that again, you have to come with, a, with an honest heart. But we look through those glasses. So again, a, a keynotes, right? You have the candelabra is a typology 
of Jesus, who is the light of the world. And his word is a lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. So I'm going to play a song. Do we have, do we have sound where I can play a song, Mike? This is Michael Cord. I love this song. It's called The Joy of the Journey. And, um, you know, we, we, again, we are on this journey, but we have the Lord's light in front of us, leading us. And it will lead us home, as hard as things at times can be here. Listen, listen to these words. They're, they're... I was on the treadmill two Sundays ago, early in the morning, praising the Lord, listening to Michael Card, and all of a sudden this song, and he said, he said some just, it's so, he's, he's profound. By the way, go on YouTube, listen to his music, if you can download it, he's, he's prophetic in his, um, in his writing of music. I want to dedicate this to everybody. I know almost everybody here. I hope this, if it isn't now, I hope it'll be true of your life real soon.
to life. Do you need that? I think a lot of people need that, right? The musicians can make their way up. Father in heaven, Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, for illuminating our lives. Lord, I know in my own heart, Lord, I was not seeking it, but Lord God, I don't fully understand why, and I ask yourself, uh, myself frequently, Lord, why me? But Lord God, you chose me, you illuminated, Lord God, my heart, my soul, my spirit, and revealed, Lord God, the light of the world to me. And Lord God, that lamp has been before me every day, though at times, Lord God, maybe I haven't walked in it to my best ability. But Lord, that light has always been full of grace and love. And Lord, you've always been there to help. So Father God, I just pray, Lord God, there is, Lord, joy in the journey. We have a destiny in front of us, Lord God, where we will spend eternity forever and ever. But Lord God, you're with us to get us home. And Lord God, may that light just continue to shine brighter and brighter. And may we, Lord God, just follow it to glory. In Jesus' name, amen.